I'm you know, excited. I'm sorry. I picked this topic. I love this movie. It's a scary movie. It's a scary movie. And it still affects me just the same. I cannot put that on. I gotta tell you, something about this movie worked for me. I was oh, like, it rocked. So, I mean, that's kind of, that's debatable. But, I mean, it's a great movie. That, you know, I, it's my right as a viewer, as somebody who spends my money and time to go watch these films, to have my opinions and be disappointed. But that's what I love about about this group doing this podcast right now is that on so many pages <laughs> we're like right there with each other. But then I mean it, it, it's it's almost inevitable that uh, you know half the time we're gonna go you're out of your mind. You are out of your mind. I'm sorry, <laughs> but that's. Welcome to the Midwest Monster Podcast, and now here are your hosts. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I am one of your hosts. I'm Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by my dudes, Mad Chan, Professor Wagstaff. Wow, we didn't get a signature Mad Chan out of that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, we're here with you again, Monsters. So glad to have you joining us. We are doing another Monster Mash. This seems to be, I know we talk about this all the time, the way of the future, but uh, getting a lot of positive feedback on this. And if you could go on to iTunes and give us some feedback there, just rate us, uh, and that'll just help our exposure. We'd really appreciate that. Um, so should we stop numbering them at this point? Yeah, I can't remember. I'm not going to call it by a number. I mean, I mean, we put the the titles of the movies right under the, the number, right, anyway? I do so, on iTunes. Okay, that's what I was saying. So, I mean, yeah. so just people, watch out for people the know what they're that getting. we're talking Yeah, that's yeah. a good idea. Yeah. Okay, so... Well, we should just number them. That way they don't get confused. All right. <laughs> um, let's talk about uh, what movies we chose and why. So, Professor, tell us what you got. I chose a recent release, Digging Up the Marrow from Adam Green. Uh, it is something that I actually witnessed some of it being filmed at a convention and didn't realize at the time what I was watching. Uh, he had a cinematographer, Will Barrett, with him, and it is something that we have listened to him talk about on the, their podcast, The Movie Crypt, for quite some time. It's been something we've been excited to see, so it was perfect timing for its release to choose it for this. Totally. Totally. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Mad Chan, what was your pick? I believe I picked Tusk by Kevin Smith. Tusk by Kevin Smith. And uh, why? I've been a diehard Kevin Smith fan since circa 1996. And um, this was his horror movie, you know, his his venture into something outside of his normal. And um, it was something I felt like I needed to share with the group. Very good. And all the listeners at home. Very good. Very good. I chose The Town <laughs> That Dreaded Sundown, the original, not the remake, um, which I am interested in watching. But uh, I chose The Town That Dreaded Sundown because I've never seen it. And there was a lot of, there's always been a lot of hype around it. I always see the posters for it. The cover art always looks cool. Um, and it was something that hadn't been on DVD for, I mean, ever until the last couple of years, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Stream Factory put it out. Yeah, it was something that people were really like begging for to make sure it came out. So, um, <clears throat> yeah. All right. Well, Mad Chan, where are we starting? Um, we're looking at 2014, written and directed by Kevin Smith. Oh, uh, Tusk. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't announce that's where we were starting. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought we were, I'm sorry. We're, we're starting with Tusk. <laughs> Tusk. <laughs> 2014, writer-director, I knew where we were going, writer-director Kevin Smith, um, starring the wonderful, brilliant Michael Parks, um, Justin Long, Haley Joel Osment. Yes. Right on. Um, yes. Loved him. We see appearances from Johnny Depp, Ralph Garman, uh, Kevin's podcasting partner, and uh, Harley Quinn Smith, his daughter, Lily Rose Melody Depp, Johnny Depp's daughter. So, What a terrible string of names. Lily Rose Melody Depp. Lily Rose <laughs> is actually her name. It's a hyphenated name. Oh, so it's Lily Rose. Okay. Okay. Sorry if I paused too long. That's all right. That's all, all right. right. Initial reactions. Um, well, the, for film. those of you that don't know, this uh, Tusk actually started out as a story that was sent into Kevin's podcast, Modcast. And Kevin read the piece of paper and read the story on the air. 
and had you could hear that he was having an epiphany. And I believe it's episode 237, if you guys want to go listen to it, of Smodcast. And Kevin has this epiphany on the air as he's reading this letter. And he's like, this is a horror movie, man. And it kind of all sprung up in a matter of weeks from reading an article to writing a script and turning it in. Or writing a script and shopping it around and getting people involved with it. So this this all sprang from a story. And it kind of, you said something earlier, Professor. It was, a, you could see passion there. Like, it was something that was ignited in him. Mm-hmm. So this kind of all sprang from there. Now that episode is on the DVD. Yes, yes, you can listen to it. And a lot of marijuana. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I mean. (laughs) But that's, it's anything Kevin Smith does now. Yeah. Is uh, very marijuana driven. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not a big, I mean, I don't like the pots. Yeah. But I don't mind those who do like the pots. Yeah. It's just. I think we're all kind of on that same page. It's just when you listen to certain episodes of that show, like, I can't listen to Smod no, I listen to Hollywood Babylon and a few of his other shows because he's not just stoned the whole time. Right. So, I mean, you could see why this would be a great idea starting out. I would have never been like, oh, man, I'm, I'm actually going to make a horror movie of that. But, man, THC does things to it, man. <laughs> That's a good point. So this was your film, Mad Chan. Just your initial reaction. Um, I had to see this movie so bad I drove two hours to see it at the closest theater to us that was playing it. Um, my reaction now is a little bit better than it was initially. I spent more time talking about the movie after the movie than the movie was actually on. There were lots of great things about this movie. Kevin Smith showed us that he can write and direct a horror movie. Mm-hmm. He showed us that he's got chops and other aspects, and he doesn't need um, the funny guy to do it. He doesn't need to have a roaming band of, you know... Um, stinky palms and snoochy boochies right to make a movie and every other time he's tried that he always does the apologetic thing he's always like oh i made jersey girl i'm sorry or oh people didn't like red state as much as i hope so you know he'll apologize for movies you know yeah and he doesn't need to for this one yeah whether you like it or not it's still a decent film and that's kind of where i'm at with it right on right on professor your initial thoughts starting this one out I can't wait. I can't wait for your reaction. I don't know. <laughs> I, this is a head scratcher. I for for every compliment I have, I have a problem with it. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it has some excitement behind it, which I haven't seen from a project of his mm-hmm. in quite some time. Um, it felt like from beginning to end, everyone involved was excited about what they were making, mm-hmm. which you know, it's just was like the calling card for Kevin Smith movies when we were younger um, that just hasn't existed in quite some time. So, I mean, from that aspect, I was excited and enjoyed it and there's things we'll go into, but there was also some things that I had some problems with. Yeah. Watch this with Mad Chan about two weeks ago. Yep. And um, here's my, here's my quick synopsis. And this is my initial reaction. The first hour is fantastic. It's everything you wanted the movie to be. Yep. The next 20 minutes ruins all of that. The last 20 minutes, if you can just let it be what it is and let it be the movie it is instead of the movie you want it to be, can be very entertaining. And so by the end of the movie, like, you know, after it hit that, that middle 20 minutes that I just told you about, <laughs> I was, I was almost falling asleep because yeah, I was yeah. so over it yeah. at that point. But then the last 20 minutes, like I even paused that. I was like, I got to get up and walk around because this just lost me. And then. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so, yeah. right. I was like, we got to move. We yeah. got to move. And so then the last 20 minutes came back in and I actually <laughs> surprisingly enjoyed it. And so overall, um, I didn't hate it. In fact, I kind of secretly liked it. So that's kind of my initial reaction. So who wants to take the reins? Where are we going to start with this film? I'll, I'll go. Okay. Um, it's about a podcasting team. Called the Not C Party, N O T hyphen S E E, like things that you can't see, the things that one would not see, yep. not Nazi, right? Um, we have or Nazi as Brad Pitt Nazi. <laughs> we have Justin Long playing uh, Wandering Wallace Brighton, <clears throat> and then Haley Joel Osment plays Teddy Craft, mm-hmm. and Justin Long's character goes out, goes out and discovers things and has adventures. 
and then comes back and tells Haley Joel Osment's character, Teddy, he comes back and tells Teddy about the adventures that he just went on, thus Teddy did not see them. I think it was trying to be a clever play yeah. on words. Yeah. Um, that was probably one of the least interesting things about the movie. Uh, wow, he made a movie about podcasters. Woo, woo. Woo, woo. Right. I heard Kevin likes podcasting. Oh, yeah. yeah he owns his own podcasting <laughs> network. Yeah. But so he goes up and they're going to see a kid who had made a viral video where he cut his own leg off. And when Wandering Wallace gets there, he finds out that the kid has killed himself. Yeah. So he's looking for another. He's actually getting ready to go home. And then he discovers another story that a gentleman by the name of Howard Howe has written a letter stating that he's traveled the world and he has tons of stories that he wants to tell. But in exchange for those stories, or in exchange for those stories and room and board in his house, you had to do something with the walrus. He had to wear the walrus costume. Mm -hmm. And that's where it goes. He's, he's intrigued by this. Yeah. So he takes a road trip to find Howard Howe. He runs into Harley Quinn Smith and Lily Rose in a convenience store, setting up Kevin's next movie, Yoga Hosers. Mm -hmm. um, and then shit gets real. Yeah. Uh, the only way I can say this is Kevin Smith writes for Michael Park well. Yes. Or Michael Park just is that badass. Mm -hmm. Because I like Michael Park in Red State. Yeah. I really did. Yeah. And this movie was no exception. And every, the way they play off of each other, him and Way Parks and Long play off each other. It's it's amazing. It really is. It's great to watch because Michael Parks has that. Like I don't care. Like I really don't care. Run your mouth. I don't care about you. Keep talking. Nobody's here to save you. Nobody's gonna know anything. And he knows what he's gonna do to him. Like hell, he's knocked out at the time when Parks is telling half that story when he's sewing him together. Mm -hmm. Oh man, it's amazing. That part where he starts screaming. Oh, dude. And Park starts screaming with him. Mm -hmm. And it's so reminiscent of, like, uh, Silence of the Lambs. Oh, yeah. Or even, like, some of the scenes from Corpses, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. just that sheer terror. That That's what he has. He has that, like, Otis feel about him. It's yeah. like, nobody can save you. Yeah. You're dead already, so you might as well. Yeah. Yeah, he's got that feel to it. Yeah, totally. Totally. And that's during that first hour that I think was great about the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was a great buildup, and it was great storytelling. Professor, anything about the first hour? I would agree with you guys. I, yeah. I thought the storytelling was good. I thought that it, it, I feel like at times he could use a, a permanent partner for a writer to that, help him that polish. doesn't get stoned. Right. That can yes. help him polish these movies. I think even in this case, more, more so in previous films <laughs> than this one, it could help by trimming the fat off of some of the stuff that kind of cha completely changes the attitude and vibe of the moment at times. Right. You know, like, for instance, you mentioned the Nazi party. It's just like you're going to – you're already distracting some people who are going to be agitated by that or fixate on that. It's just like certain little things, like, it's really not needed in that movie. That's not the attitude of the movie. And see, um, the, the horrible part about all that is that they all came from podcasts, and if you don't listen to Smodco, you don't get the Nazi party joke. Right, and – but no, I agree that the first hour, um, the pacing struggled at times, just a little, but I, I was engaged. I was interested. I thought it went well. Right. Yeah. So then there becomes a turning point in this movie and the turning point should have been the most awesome point of this movie because we get to see Johnny Depp pop up in a Kevin Smith movie. Yeah. That was not advertised. Yeah. Well, and he can't. Yeah. I mean, right. He, Cause he didn't. Yeah. He did it. Um, for not SAG, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, if he if he announces Johnny Depp's in his movie, he's got to pay Johnny a certain fee, and right. then these people got to get it. And Kevin made this movie on the cheap, yep, on the low. So, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> Johnny was actually built under his name Guy Lapointe, the the character name that he plays in the movie. Yeah. So to me, Johnny Depp is the beginning of the demise for this film because his character is so horrible. Like he's like this Clouseau weird not even clever like it's just not even well done or well written and it's just like ugh. Well, here's the way i put it to the professor ah. here's the way i put it to the professor it almost feels like kevin smith was so excited to have johnny depp in his movie and johnny depp being the great character actor he was i'm sure went back 
checked out Kevin's other movies, and came up with a character. This is the way I'm going to play this. He's a quirky character. Kevin Smith movies have quirky characters. And if Kevin did with Johnny anything like he did with Bruce Willis, then Johnny walked in and was like, this is how I'm playing it. He was like, yes, just do that, you know? Like, no actual, and we don't know that. I'm just speaking. I don't know that for a fact. It just seems like Johnny Depp went a completely different way than the feel of the movie. And that's what takes you out of that. That right there. Totally. The scene where he shows up, as soon as that face shows up and he opens his mouth, you're like, this is ridiculous. Yep. Because it just went from a serious film to stupid. Well, <laughs> I hate to be that harsh. But at the same stupid. time, with with what's happening to this guy, how long are we gonna stay serious? True. If anything, he to me eases in the bizarre nature of the remainder of this film. That's it's a valid some, point. It's something to fixate on that has the the lead power. To kind of pull I got the you. cast that is not that. Um, I agree. It, it's hokey at times, but I really wasn't focusing on uh, his mannerisms or really anything other than the idea of I like that these two friends are hunting down their friend and they've got this just caricature of them up north helping. See, but it do can, and can we admit at that point it turned into a Wes Anderson film? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> with like the the chase scenes yeah. and like the the camera shots oh, like and the down, colors down from above, it, you it know, totally yeah. turned into a Wes Anderson. And that's why I told Chad, that. I said, Chad, this just turned into a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, like as it happened. Yep. It would it went that quickly. Yeah. See, for me though, when Johnny Depp showed up, it was the um, especially being in the dark theater, seeing everything we just saw. Johnny Depp, like, okay, we've got our Ahab. Remember from the the behind the mask. Uh-huh. We have our Ahab. We have a guy that's been looking for this serial killer. This guy who's been killing these people, and he feels like he ran into it. Had anybody else played that role? Had Johnny played that role darker? Like, I'm looking for it. Yeah. Like, this is the way it's got to be. I went to his house. I went to his house. He did this. Because Parks comes out with that character that he does on the porch. And I was like, really? Is that where we are right now? It's almost like it was a stoned afterthought. Like, if he did this, this would be funny. He, he, he. You know, and I didn't. If they, if they would have stayed serious right there, you could have stayed in it with the horror element the whole time. Like, I'm looking for them. You're looking for your friend. If we find the guy I'm looking for, I guarantee we're going to find your buddy. Yeah. Like, that would have kept me into it a lot more than I was. But I'm still in. I mean, I still love the movie. Yeah. You know, and it's a good point that the professor raises because, like, how long did we think serious could last? Because I'm with you because he's made a serious movie. It was called Red State. Yeah. And they stayed in it. Yeah. So he could do that. But then, too, like, at what point then would I get mad that I'm like, oh, gosh, he turned Justin Long into a walrus. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's the thing, though. In his mind somewhere, he still thinks that he's got to be funny because every time he makes that serious movie, Jersey Girl, Red State, they don't go over because they're not Snoochie Boochie's Bong, you know, Dick Jay and, and Silent Bob movies. Right. Yeah. They're not those characters. So people automatically, he's like, oh, well, people know they're not going to like it unless something funny happens. Well, I would have been fine without it. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit on that, but to me, knowing with what you're unveiling, you'd be laughed off. If, if you remain dark and straight through and dive directly into that, everybody <laughs> in the theater would be like, oh, this is just dumber than hell. <laughs> yeah. But the, the tonal shift, I think, helps. And and maybe, like you're saying, it's just him going back to his roots and, right. and, a, and a crutch. But in this instance, I think it saved it. Because okay. for me personally, if it had been dark all the way through and the payoff was what I saw down in that man's, whatever you call that, basement, water area, I would have hated this movie. Well, that brings up the fact he doesn't know how to make a horror movie because he came right out and showed you every aspect of this goofy looking monster under bright lights. It had that movie been shot in shadow, had you never fully seen the walrus, yeah. even chunks of it, as ridiculous as it looked, I'd have still been more, it'd have been a lot more terrifying than showing you the full on Justin Long in because he wanted a big reveal. His big reveal was done under done under lamps that you were like, this is ridiculous looking. You start immediately and you have to admit, because I know you did, you picked that suit apart. You're like, this is horrible. Yeah. And then when you find out Robert Kirkman made that suit, it's like, oh no, no. One of the guys responsible for Evil Dead 2 made this. Nah, man. Like he that suit. Under somebody else's supervision. It looks like you had the that one with the 
Necronomicon on his side. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like the, the ear, the face. Yeah, yeah, the face well, yeah. I, and I agree. There, there could have been like some of that Val Luton applied to this, where you kind of just keep it in the shadows down there, have the water reflecting off the top. And I remember thinking could have been a lot more I like watch this, which is you just mainly see his face in the water, just fighting to stay above water, mm-hmm. and still talking to him about the things he needs to do. Right. And you know what has happened, but the curiosity is what's scary. And I agree with that because yeah. even on my notes, I I wrote about the unveiling, just like what in the hell? Just jump right in. This could have been, if he would have played it smart, it could have even been like in the vein of like Human Centipede, and the fact that you know it's ridiculous, but it was so sinisterly done that it was still dumb. But at the same time, you stayed in the film. Well, and it's got that very human centipede vibe when you when Parks is sitting there and you've got the things up on the wall, the the blueprints, if yep. you will. You've got the blueprints like that's okay. I ripped that from this. Yep. And you know that he's doing body more or modification. Okay, I ripped that from this. And but when you see them for the first time on their knees in human centipede, as ridiculous as it is, it's still scary. It was you were like, oh my gosh, she can't get out. She is sewn to yeah, right, yeah. right. So I think we could have kept <laughs> some of that. But again, it's going to take a suspension of disbelief. You know, on the behalf. I know. I yeah. just it, at some point, it, Kevin didn't have that studio backing him. I think I said this to you. Kevin didn't have that studio backing him. He didn't have somebody going, "Hey, man, um, we've made about a thousand horror movies, like he did what if at Miramax, you know, with Miramax mm-hmm. Only Dimension, or with the Weinstein." I thought they only did classy movies, like The Pianist and <laughs> The Crying Game. But anyway, the piano or the crying. But anyway. Uh, he doesn't have them, you know. They ran Dimension. They made horror movies. He had nobody going. Hey, man, don't don't show all this right away. Hell, right. I'd let Robert Kirkman. You're like, mm-hmm. here. How should I do the reveal in Shadow? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. <clears throat> I would have much rather seen the reveal when <clears throat> we have the climactic ending. Yes. Yeah. Right. With the maybe use Tusk playing <laughs> and ha- and have a full blown unveil then and then pull it back movies over and just leave you kind of like holy yeah shit well, instead well, of seeing it for so long under bright lights in its entirety yeah it's a little much to ask of the viewer. <laughs> again it just feels like it goes back to oh well justin long's actually going to get in the suit we have a na- our named actor is going to stay here and work yeah. i think you wanted to show him yeah and my ending of this movie and this will be the last that man like there was so much room for I'd have taken him out of the suit. I'd have showed his mangled mm-hmm. form. I would have not left him in the walrus suit. I'd have had him in some medical room somewhere because they would have never taken him to an animal, <laughs> an animal retreat place. I got we chuckled at and that. That's why I loved it, man. There, <laughs> I would have so one. I would have shown him eating a fish because that would have been his, his true turning point. With not just oh, there's a bitten off fish. I would have showed him taking a bite of the fish. That would have been that would have been just right over the top. But two. At the end, his mangled form sitting there like that, that was your reveal. And that's what was lost. Because if you'd have given that movie to James Wan, you'd have saw something horrifying. That would have been your walking away image, was him sitting there looking at her like this, with his arms sewed up on him and his feet, you know, chopped off at the legs. So, I don't know. Like, a better horror director would have killed that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll just say, you know, in closing here, that... uh... I love that they played Tusk by Fleetwood Mac. I can't believe it was in there. I can't, I yeah. It's <laughs> so perfect. And uh, yeah, I, I, as stupid as the ending was, I loved it because it was just that the movie had turned at that point. There was no going back to being serious. It was dumb after Depp came in and they started doing that stuff. And I was like, <laughs> all right, well, just finish dumb, son. Go hard. <laughs> go just, hard in the paint. Go huh? hard in the paint for dumb. <laughs> well, good. That's it. That's no, it. I was going to say it's funny because I that's my biggest <coughs> problem with the movie is the end. Yeah. I to me there are three at least three other options you could have done. You could have had Depp see him and know there's no coming back for him and shooting, which is what it looks like is going to happen. Yeah. Um, and put him out of his misery, and that's the end of it. Just the punch to the nose credits. Um, we could have. You know, removed him from the suit, like he said, yep. and showed a gruesome aspect. That would have been better. Or we could have pulled him from the suit and he survives, and we show him podcasting again, missing limbs somehow. You know, just anything. I the ending 
I thought was just so whack. It's just like <laughs> all, like absolutely no effort put into it after this bizarre story's been laid out in front of us, and they're like, I'm kind of tired. Let's just, yeah, he's here. How about that? Exotic Animal Park? Just, yeah, I, that, I, I was actually agitated. I was like, you've <laughs> got to be shitting me. He already <laughs> lost his girl to the kid from the Sixth Sense. Yeah. Dude, and Haley Joel Osment He was more was jolting than the unveil of the, <laughs> yeah. of the walrus. When, Seeing him as an adult, when, I was like, <gasps> When Mad Chan brought it over and I saw his name on the cover, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> really? <laughs> So that was a natural reaction. Good fun. Good fun. What do you guys want to do next? Do you want to do town or marrow? Marrow. Do marrow next? Okay. So, um, who wants to set us up? Uh, I'm horrible at summaries. Okay. I will, uh, I will give the specifics of what of marrow, but then we'll let somebody else tell the story. We're looking at digging up the marrow 2015 writer, director, Adam green starring, uh, Ray Weiss playing a character called William Decker. And then everybody else playing themselves. Adam Green playing Adam Green. Will Barrett, the cinematographer. Adam cinematographer. Uh, Kane Hodders actually makes an appearance in the movie. Uh, Riley Vanderbilt, or Adam's ex-wife, makes an appearance in the movie. And then we've got Tom Holland and Mick Garris. All people that pop up for uh, short spans in the movie. Lots of cameos. Lots yeah, of cameos. Totally. totally. Um, so what year was this made? 2015. No, released. I say released. Okay. I give release. Maybe uh, over the last couple. Yeah. 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 Um, Professor, you want to say anything about this or you want Chad or I to give the summary? Um, I'm, I usually leave out a ton. Whenever I do a summary, you guys are like, and don't and... think we should mention. All right. So basically, uh, Adam Green uh, answers this, this call from this kooky guy, this William Decker, about how he knows where real monsters live and he's going to go meet up with him. And find out about this place, and he calls it, it's this underground place where the people that we don't want to see in society have to go live. So if you've got deformed babies or people who have, you know, birth defects or something, they go, you know, no one knows where they go. Well, they go live here, the Marrow. This is what he calls it, the Marrow, this underground place. And he's got this carefully plotted network of where entrances to the Marrow are, and he's been there, and he's seen the monsters. But they're not monsters to him. Because he gives them names and all this stuff. And so, Adam, it's just kind of incredible. Like, okay, this is crazy. But let's play along. Let's see what happens, you know? Where did it come from? Where did what? The idea for digging up the marrow. Oh, artwork. A combination of two things. Right. Uh, a, a fan had sent Adam Green a letter saying that he had gotten the legend of Victor Crowley wrong, that he was real and he could show him. And, and nearby I never knew that, that time, Alex Pardee came up who did all the artwork for this, came up to him at a convention, handed him a pamphlet of a world of monsters he had created, and Adam Green kind of thought, I got my next idea. I'm cool. going to marry these together, um, which is really, I mean, that's why he's a filmmaker. That's fun. To, to see those two things. That is fun. go, this should be a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, he, he, he goes on these crazy misadventures with Decker, but th- there's things that pop up and so like little by little he keeps buying in and buying in and people think he's nuts um yeah i think that's i think it's the best summary we can give without getting mm-hmm. into too much specifics yeah, we start to question decker oh yeah and definitely. his motives and, and what's truth because you find out that he re- reached out to other filmmakers even though he mm-hmm. told adam that he was the first one that he reached out to mm-hmm. so like you start poking holes in his story about who he is and his past and yeah, so it's interesting. It's interesting. You guys want to give initial reactions? Um, I love the movie. I mean, watching it for the first time, I, I rented it on VOD, sat down with the wife, um, knew I had it on pre-order, rented it anyway. It just, it got me, man. It really did. You got it certain... on VOD? Huh? You got it on VOD? got it on VOD. I got it on VOD. Oh, you got it on VOD? I got it on VOD. Did, did you get it on VOD? I, no, but I bought it from Mary's. Oh, did you Sell buy it? I bought it from Mary's Go too. I did. did you, so you supported the director? Directly, I did. Yeah. I did too. VOD. Well, I did because well, I got that. the VOD and Blu-ray. Right, absolutely. So you got VOD, I got VOD and Blu-ray, and you got Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. Yeah. All right on, man. That. And your wife's a fan. Oh, my wife's. A and she fan. watched it on VOD too. Oh, she sure did. And my girlfriend's a fan, and yep. she watched it on VOD too. And oh, guess what else I did? What? I got a shirt. Nice. Did you get a shirt? Yep. Nice. You got a shirt. Cool. Cool. Yeah, for Christmas I got uh, other all sorts of Aeroscope stuff. 
Hey, Adam, you're welcome. <laughs> Love but, uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, uh, no, I did. I, my initial reaction to the movie was awesome. I, it was everything that it was. This was one of those movies that wasn't hyped up too much. Yeah. It delivered on what exactly I thought it was going to be. Now, here I is. Here it is. I haven't heard Professor's <laughs> reaction. I'm ready to hear it right now. Irma Gerd. Alert. <laughs> of course. We, we knew that was coming. <laughs> oh, yeah. it was, I, it was, it's one of the few times in recent years where not only did I get to use my imagination with an original idea, was just but also something lived up to the hype for me that I had put probably too much on. So I've been hearing about it for years at this right, point. Right, right. So, yeah, I, I just had a blast with it. Right on. And in many ways, I just want to say, the reasons I liked it so much were the things that I wish the previous film would have practiced. Yeah, yeah, yeah I got yeah. you, buddy. Um, there's uh, So some of the things about this picture, man, the children at the beginning... I didn't give my summary. Oh, yeah, I thought you gave the initial <laughs> summary. I, get, I gave the synopsis. Did you like it? I enjoyed it. Uh, the only thing I'll say is that uh, <clears throat> I enjoyed it. Uh, just as almost same scenario as Mad Chan. Me and my girlfriend, we got it on VOD. Watched it. Enjoyed it, but the only problem we experienced was at the end, we wanted more. You'll get it. Oh, you'll get it. Okay. Okay. But it was just like the end came and we were just like, ah, we weren't disappointed. We were just like, I wanted more. So. It's greedy. We are. That's what's interesting, though, because yeah. that's why I loved it. Right. I love that I wanted more. That yeah. They didn't have a chance to overdo something or make something look. I don't know, stupid. Yeah. Like to the point where I was oversaturated from it. Right. And the idea of future productions going deeper into it with a bigger budget and, and traditional cameras is pretty cool. Totally. All right. Totally. Okay. Medjin. Can I finish? Can I finish? <laughs> Please. I'm Sorry. finished. Can I finish? I'm finished. No, are. but anyway, the, the, the pictures of the children at the very beginning in the opening credits really drove that home for me. Because he brings up a question. He's like, what happens to these children? Well, this is what happens to them. And you don't really see them walking yeah, because, around. And it's because of Obamacare. Yeah, thanks. But, I mean, that was something that immediately right off the bat gets you to think. Um, I love the fact that Ray Weiss, he committed to this role. He had gone through and created an entire backstory for his character, little nuances and things that his character did and has done, and added them into the movie himself. And this character, like, that much to the point where he was so invested. I'm not saying other actors don't do this, but Ray Weiss, is, he's got a little something extra. He's a little something special. And to hear him talk about it on the different things, you know, the interviews and the, the commentary, you know, different things. I, that was really special, man. It seemed like he was really into this character down to the little details. So I thought that was awesome. Yeah, And Adam's mix of skeptical and whimsy throughout the first part of this film you know because half the time he's just like oh wow there's monsters they could be real and then he's just like i don't believe you you know i mean like he's got this mixture but he never comes across as oh this dude's fucking crazy or this dude's loco he's just like dude don't you want monsters to be real because every time somebody else second guesses ray wise's character every time somebody else second guesses decker then Adam's like, no, dude, don't you want monsters to be real? But then Adam's is like, wait, man, this is bullshit. So yeah. I, I kind of love that. Yeah, it was a cool duality. Mm -hmm. Professor. Um, I, You mentioned Ray Wise. I loved what he did in this. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. I mean, at this point in his career, how many decades has this guy been acting? Mm -hmm. And for him to... Oh, has he been in other stuff? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, to, to, to step up and take on a very just random unique original idea for a movie and 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 be the lead in it I, I don't know i just thought that was really awesome i liked that everyone in it played themselves except him i thought that was a good thing yeah that was interesting which a lot of people complained they said that took it out took him out of the film yeah which and i've heard him comment on it that we're like people knew immediately that it was fake right because of that and Adam Green did have a good point, which was well, when the monsters show up a few minutes later, would you have uh, <laughs> Well, and that's that? a good point, too. Adam never sold this as the Blair Witch. Right, which I think helped it. Yeah. To never say, like, this is found footage, yeah. Because I can remember learning about the Blair Witch that night of watching it. I seeing him on the news talking about the, the opening night. Yeah. I'm like, what? 
<laughs> bullshit. Yeah, right, right. Which, I mean, immediately affected it. But, um, no, I, I really enjoyed the approach to it. I thought that, for the most part, none of it went too far with any of it. You know yep. what I mean? Like being pokey. Yep. In the sense, like, I liked that it was always fairly diverse with the people we're interacting, the situations we're in. We're not, I mean, it's just all over the place. It's an interesting way to kind of venture into that world of, you know, out in Hollywood. I just, I appreciated the way they did it. I liked that. One of my favorite things about it um, was just how plain average the area looks that mm-hmm. we go out to, yep. which immediately got my imagination running. It was just like, I started thinking like, what if I were eight years old and saw this movie? Right. Cause we've all been to woods that look like that. Yeah. It wasn't just, foreboding. Uh, yeah. It wasn't like overdone, like Ernest scared stupid or like something right. that like puts a lot of work into look, make looking atmospheric or mm-hmm. yeah. I love that, that we strike out a lot. Yep. That it's just not a, you know, just constant feeding the viewer something cooler. Mm-hmm. I mean, we go out there and we see nothing. We, we, you know, I, I just like the pacing to it. Um, I, my only complaint with the film would have been for Adam to not be as, I don't, I don't know what the word is, comical or reactionary to Ray Wise. And he explained it later where they had to cut in afterwards during the interview. Mm-hmm. But I found some of that tough to watch yeah. with his expressions in reaction to right. Ray Wise. Right. I thought that was kind of taken away from the moment. If he would have just played it more straight, that would have been more effective. But so it's just a, I love the concept of it all. Yeah. Uh, my favorite thing is, well, I think the same thing that it's, it's odd because it just works against itself. But like, you know, at the end I said, I wanted more. But I liked the minimalistic approach to seeing the monsters mm-hmm. in this. Loved it. Loved it. Because you only get to see them for a second. Yeah. And even best, I loved that first monster that they catch. You get to see it twice, but you get to watch everybody react to it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so you get to see that multiple times, but you don't get to keep focusing on it. Right. You get to see it twice. That's yours. Yeah. And that's the only monster you get to see twice. You know, and so like I love the minimalistic approach to that. Even though that first one that you get to see twice is probably the most ridiculous looking one, but it's still at the same time like it's a hell of a scare the way they did it. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, I mean, to me, the biggest scare was that one that looked like a balloon. The, with its the smiley face on. The yes. Ooh. Oh man, that thing's a bad bitch. I, I screamed out loud. I did. <laughs> Which one? The, the one, one that looks like a smiley face and, and tilts like, its head up. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you could ask Carrie. I was like, ah! <laughs> like that one got how, me. And how great was the scene with uh, the one that's standing in front of the car? Oh, who's, Vance? who's the editor? Yeah. Who's being played by the editor? Oh, I mean, cool. We're not supposed to know that, but the same guy that's sitting in the editing booth with him through the movie. And uh-huh. He's playing the one in front of the car. But how those the wings fly up, jumping over the car, and then yeah. seeing him in reverse with the, the red lights. Yeah, that's some crazy scene. It's well done. It's very <laughs> well done. Hey, Jan. Um, when Decker said IHOP, I kind of lost my shit. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> he was just like, are, "Are they always there?" He's like, "No, sometimes." Yeah. Right at IHOP, <laughs> he's like, "At IHOP," Green's like, "At IHOP," and he's like, "They like pancakes." He's like, "Well, who doesn't?" <laughs> it's little things like that yeah. that I really, yeah. I really liked. Um, I do have a few questions for you guys. Mm-hmm. Okay. What was Decker feeding in the hole, man? Great. It's a great question. Um, you know, and that's the thing. Was it his son? This mysterious son? Oh, I mean, yeah, I've got more questions. About? So there's plot holes between who was he feeding in the hole and who did he have chained up at the house? I think they're both just random. Okay. I think okay. he's he's doing anything he can to get to what we assume is the son. Okay. Could be wife. I so you know. think the son so you think the son is gone? And yeah. he's using his, he's trying to be friendly enough with these guys so one day he can see his son again. Right. Maybe okay. maybe these other monsters are protecting, like, the fraternity down there. Yeah. not allowing him to be a part of it. And he's doing anything he can, ranging from holding one ransom mm-hmm. to trying to get information from them. Oh, there it, we go. He, he let it poop in his house. Yes. Yeah. Or, I, dude, or, I thought Adam should have slipped on that shit. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> All the way up to, you know, feeding. Yeah, treating them to something as maybe hope for information or entry. That's that's the way I took it as. Okay. And I loved I loved the way that as the viewer we had to be like Adam <coughs> and his people with him turning the cameras off so that you couldn't see parts. I thought that was great that we got to watch it surveillance style 
with the guys who are trying to figure it out and we're not given too much that way that that's the reason we're sitting here wondering yeah i, th- I thought that was really effective because at the time i was like why the hell is he doing this but it worked out well i thought okay so see that that cancels out part of my next question because i was wondering about the chained up monster the chained up thing in the room and i i was wondering if he, he was holding a hostage to make it keep showing him where the marrow is mm. because there's no way he found all those places on his own right because that's just too random you see what i'm saying like it's like oh uh there's monster sightings in illinois let's head over there like so I was wondering if he wasn't yeah, using Sam it. and Dean Winchester. Right, right. Basically, yeah, like you know, yeah. it's like, oh, we read about this. Let's uh, let's get in the car and head over there. Yeah. So I was wondering if he wasn't using one, like he would get there, he would kidnap one. It's like, where are you going next? Or where's the, you know, where's another entrance or something yeah. of that nature. Yeah. Um. So did Decker pack his stuff up and bounce, or did the monsters pack it up for him? Packed it up for him. I I took it as that, just because of the state we see him in. Okay. The fact that they have the camera that's being brought back to me they are in control the monsters aren't done yeah oh no and i and think that's we, an interesting we still keep thing. calling them monsters even though they give decker gives the explanation in the kind of the beginning it's just like these are normal people like you and i they yeah. have they get divorced yeah, they well, have families and- if i see that one papa's head up at the park it's a monster <laughs> <laughs> or if i and, see that little chicken one run by yeah which uh, chicken, was, also that was his great, name dude yeah. nobody's expecting that was great. That's, that was a angle. great scare. Right before that happened, the wife was like, if, I swear if I don't see a monster in the next five minutes, and here comes Chicken. And we were both it's like, like oh. <laughs> oh, That was a great one. That, that was, was great. great. So the videotape at the end, um, one, I love the fact that we saw Adam still crying, still red-eyed when he leads us into the videotape. The videotape at the end, was it them sending a message that, hey, we have Decker, or was it them sending a message like, hey, you need to back the hell off. We have Decker. I took it as, we're in your home right now. We know where you live. We know exactly where you live. <laughs> we know exactly how to take care of you. This is your your freebie, your warning. Yeah. Just leave Just it stay, alone. Leave, us, leave yeah. us alone. Because I'm standing in your room with you asleep right now. You could, you and your girl could be dead if I wanted. But you're not. What does he yell back at Back off. Uh... It, was, it sounded like stay out. Something like that. Adam says in the yeah. he says in the in the special features. I just didn't catch it. Yeah, I, it was something like stay out. Hmm. I think. Hmm. Stay away. Stay away. I think is what it was. Cool. Cool. Closing thoughts on Mara. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. I think it was a great original horror film that uh, we need more of. So uh, even though I, I was a little unfulfilled, I think it's one that I will watch numerous times over the years because it's yeah. just got it's just got enough to watch because it's it's really well done. Yeah, for me the rewatchability is it's through the roof, and maybe because nothing is too much, it bounces around so much. It's just it stays fresh to where it's fun. It mm-hmm. it just it puts you in a good creative mindset. It's just I recommend it to anybody. There there's no kind of Film fan, I would say you shouldn't watch this. Too. Totally, even people who aren't big into, into horror movies. Yeah, and it's worth watching for very good reasons. Absolutely, I've seen it three times already, and I'll, I'll continue to watch it. Yeah, um, yeah man, that cool. Was awesome. Cool. So we, so we all dug the marrow. All right, on to the town that dreaded sundown. Mad Jam, give us the details. Well, there's not a whole lot of details going on here. It was The Town That Dreaded Sundown, 1976, directed by Charles B. Pierce, written by Earl E. Smith. Starring Captain, starring Ben Johnson, he was Carney from Terror Train. Starring Deputy Norman Ramsey, he was Reverend Hawthorne from Rob Zombie's Lords of Salem. Hmm. And Don Wells, she was Mary Ann from Gilligan's Island. Hmm. And the director himself plays a part in this movie. Spark plug. Spark plug. Spark plug. Uh, well, you my, don't want me to start this off. So my <laughs> yeah, my film. So I'll start this out. I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Uh, give, give us the rundown. The rundown. Okay, it's a town that dreads sundown. Why? <laughs> There's a killer on the run. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, so you've got this. Uh, it's it's the mid '40s. Guys are coming back from the war, and you've got uh, a lovers' lane killer. 
and they can't catch this guy. They can't catch him, and so curfews keep getting stricter. They bring in the lone wolf from Dallas, I think, is where he came from, because it's in Texas. Uh, another great theme of horror movies happening in Texas, because it's such a big state, you know? And half of it is. Yeah. Other half's Arkansas, which is interesting for... Uh, oh, that's right. It's a Texarkana thing. That's yeah. right. I forgot. Yeah. Texarkana. Hey, don't tell me what to do. You picked I'm it. giving a summary. Okay. Uh, I so, apologize. Um, so, yeah. So, they can't catch this guy. They bring in the lone wolf, the special cop, and he's supposed to be able to do it. And, I mean, the key, the kills just keep coming. And, the, the you know, the it just gets a little more foreboding. And, um, spoiler alert, they never catch the guy. <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert, it's a Korean film. Uh, <laughs> no, a, no, we're gonna take that back. It's not a Korean. That's film. a callback. Uh, but they never catch the guy, and so it's fascinating. Um, yeah. At, at, at first, I was like, "Oh, come on!" But then I was like, "Okay, I like the mystique that it leaves." So, and it's, and it's the reality of it, which yeah. is they never caught the real killer. Yeah, yeah. So at this point. Uh, <clears throat> I want to throw it to Professor and let him kind of give us some of the real historical facts. Well, um, the layout of the film is the same. There are, in, in the real case, there was two people um, savagely attacked, but not murdered. We then went on to have, three weeks later, a couple killed both times. And, and with each of these deaths, there were two shots into the back of the head. So they, it was, in, and it went in three week cycles, which is part of the reason the town was just crippled with fear. Because, you know, for one, it wasn't that large of a community. I mean, it was a bigger city, but I mean, it's not massive, so it's enough to really affect us. And then you bring in all the hoopla with the media and the rangers, and that really began on the next double murder, which happened three weeks later, and then the last known attack. And the only one in the movie that is spot on for the most part is the Don Wells one. That is almost identical to how it happened. Uh, the real names were Starks. Um, I think the couple was. This but, is the third kill in the film, right? Yeah, <coughs> in terms of incidents. Right, where, he peek, yeah. where he's peeking through the window and right. shoots him through yeah, the window. Because yeah. by then in, in, in real life, the lovers' lanes were really being monitored. Right, and like the cross-dressing, that was really happening. The cops were going out there dressed up like women with a partner and sitting in the car trying to bait them um, where they would go out there with dummies. So by then, it was really out of the question for this killer and the MO that he had established. So he walked up to a window with the same caliber gun, and there's a the husband was reading a newspaper, just like they show in the movie, and he puts two in the head right through the window. And then she comes out, discovers it, races to the phone, tries to call the police, gets shot in the face through the jaw, um, and immediately drops and realizes she needs to stay down on the floor. Well, why she's down there, and this is where it's a little different in the movie, she sees the phantom's foot kicking in the screen and climbing in the window to finish her off. She runs out the door and on foot to a neighbor. And that, for the most part, the the stuff out in the... Uh, cornfield that didn't happen yeah with the watching him and you know trying to maneuver around him but everything else like how scary that is is really what happened and the woman survived that wow um, but a lot of it is fictional in the terms of the specifics of how they did it like the trombone thing never happened <laughs> the trombone um, kill <clears throat> what happened in the real case is one of the victims was like they show in the movie was picked up from playing at a, a local hall on the Saturday night. Um, but she played a saxophone. And the only thing that happened with that was they couldn't recover it from the original crime scene. They knew that it had been taken. Um, the mom knew she hadn't come home that night because it wasn't sitting there where it would by the door. So basically that was the only thing with that. So the trombone was more just a cinematic thing than wanting to put in there, which, which was, Kind of terrible. Yeah, well, and, and that's the thing. What I think is interesting is I think time has changed that. Yeah. Because uh, from reviews of, of people that watched it back then, they always cite that as the thing that scared them, including my dad when he saw it. He remembered the trombone thing, just how you know crazy and creepy it was. And, you know, to me, 
it just kind of looks goofy. Right. Um, it been better if he played Yakety Sax while he was doing it. He's stabbing her. If anybody out there would like to draw me a diagram explaining the trombone kill to me and how it actually worked, uh, it would be greatly appreciated. And I'll make sure it gets up on our Facebook, Twitter, <laughs> and I will email it to everybody we know. You know, and by the way, there was never a knife used in any of them. And the only other thing I'll <laughs> add to the real case um, is the mask was only cited in any capacity by one of the surviving first two hmm. that were just uh, solid. Nobody died there. Right. Um, the girl was certain that a man had had that on. That's where that lore comes from. The guy that was there said he didn't remember seeing a mask. Um, and the, the starts woman that survived the final attack never saw anybody. She just saw, the only thing she saw was the foot coming through the window. Mm. Oh, the other time was spent being shot and running. So yeah. She never really saw face, but just recently uh, the the book that I've got sitting here came out at the end of last year. There's been nothing on this, which is what fascinated people. I think so much about this movie was that this independent filmmaker was taking things from around the area and making these cult movies on things that they knew about in that area. Well, and this one kind of spread out because there hasn't been good documentaries or books on the subject. It's a, it's a scary <coughs> case, but there's never been much you could get on it. Well, now it's starting to pick up. It's on a documentary on Netflix right now called Killer Legends. There's something there about it. Really? So it's really started to pick up, um, you know, some notoriety and people learning about it. But, it, I mean, clearly there's other things we can talk about, even Friday the 13th Part 2 and other things. Yeah, the bag on the infected. head. Yeah, yeah. But that, that is the real case in comparison. The layout of it is the same, but much of it is fictionalized. Okay. But not hugely. So I think from our initial reactions, you can gather, dear listeners, that Professor and I were big fans of the film. So now we hand it over to the Reverend Dr. Mad Champ. I got a question, Professor. Um, mm-hmm. What year did these murders take place, the actual ones? 46. 46. What year did the Zodiac Killer take place? Oh. 60, late 60s. There you go. That's your guy. <laughs> Boom. Right. There. No, there's a lot of similarities. Like where your yeah. head's at. People no, sir. Like, there's a lot of similarities between this, right? Yeah, well, the actual case, the, the lover's uh, lane, the, you know, yeah. going up, the victims that got away, you actually used the gun. Pattern. Yeah. Pattern killing every three weeks. Yeah. Or, I mean, there, and there's been, there's been uh, publishings on that. There's a commentary on the Blu-ray. This guy, James Presley, that wrote the book, and he talks about how there has been some theories put out there. Oh, I mean, that just—that was the one. That was the one that I really enjoyed. Call Patricia Cornwall; she'll make a terrible book about it. Well, it's all right. I, I can make my own terrible book on it. But that way, you guys don't have to fucking read it. <laughs> I don't know where that comment came from, but that yeah, was great. But, um, Nobody bought my last book. I'm just saying. <laughs> Right oh, Lord. Uh, so, imagine <laughs> your feelings on the film. Um, I think the narration in the beginning was reminiscent of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but then the continued narration indicated to me that the director didn't trust his audience to understand the story. Mm. That's what it felt like to me. It, um, these are just my how I feel. I felt it was slow. It felt more like a made-for-TV movie. I kept waiting for Matlock or the Dukes of Hazard to pop out. Um, waiting for the Benny Hill music to pop up every time we saw um, the cars spark, losing spark control. Plug, Speedo, whatever his name was. Um, I waited for that every single time. It, this just wasn't that for me. I did enjoy. Was this the first time we saw the um, the burlap sack killer? Mm-hmm. Nineteen seventy six was the movie. Yeah. So was this the first time we saw him? Because that's my knowledge. Yeah, that's yeah. my. I tried to look it up. I couldn't find anything really mm-hmm. definitive on it. Um, the fact that it's based. On a, it's fictionalized off the true story, but more on the true story. Just it didn't give me a lot to go on. I'm fascinated by true crime well, I'm, and I'm, serial killers, but the movie aspect of it was I as much as you guys enjoyed it. I just I kept waiting. I was like something's gonna happen because every time we'd get a cool serious moment in the movie, then we did something goofy. And yeah. I think that the stage I'm in right now, and it's just me personally. I'm not, but the stage I'm in right now, I don't need to see funny to make my horror more scary. I'd rather. I'd rather Silence of the Lambs. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I'd rather be in that moment until the very end when Jodie Foster <laughs> Jody Foster helps catch Buffalo Bill. I'd rather be in there and be serious than some guy popping up and making jokes. And mm-hmm. That's just me, though, man. I think that's why I didn't like it is because I've, 
these movies I go back and we've been talking about them over the past several shows. I'm not digging the I'm not digging the oldies as much as as much as I did when I was a kid and watching hmm. them for the first time. I'm just I don't want to say I'm too sophisticated of a horror person because we're all horror people. I just I just don't have time for you know like car chases with goofy music behind it when we're running down a killer or a suspect mm-hmm. because that was a good idea we had a red herring the guy was there the guy had taken the dude's car and his wallet his billfold yeah. he was bragging about killing five people in Texarkana I mean that's a good lead to me but the fact that the car was slipping and sliding and dude ran into the pond and got out with the goofy look on his face you know like I don't know that's just me man mm-hmm yeah, and I talked to some other people about this, and they said Sparkplug kind of took him out of the movie, like all the scenes of Sparkplug and all of his goofiness. And I, I see that. I enjoyed it, personally. Yeah, I mean, it's it's ill-placed, but it's not enough. Like, the minute I see that sack breathing in and out <laughs> and those eyes yeah. on a close-up, Sparkplug doesn't matter. Right, see, same gone. here. See, that's the thing. Like, I just, I couldn't get into that. I tried. I really did. I sat last night in the dark and watched it. Like, you that just went to... Like the I, killer? like yeah, the killer for me was just really yeah, especially oh. the part where he hopped up on the car and the car was spinning around and he's trying to get at him. Like there, were, I was just sitting there like I mean to me that's like Jason Voorhees. I don't know, man. Four just, years before you love him, the, yeah, the curiosity. I don't know. It's just, just yeah. personally the curiosity. No, no, the curiosity of a Jason Voorhees just always it, it scared me a little bit more than I. Here's what I really think it is. I think it's a gun. I really do, man. Something about it's less personal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not the. It's and I not get the, that. I get that. You know, like shooting somebody through a window to me is almost like watching Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. And I know this is a real case. I'm not trying to take anything away from the case. Yeah. I'm just saying, I see gangsters shoot people on gangster movies. You know, with two to the back of the head. Yeah. So it it was just kind of. Mm-hmm. I wanted my mass killer to be slaughtering people. Like when he blackjacked that dude. Yeah. Like hands, yeah. like yeah, that dude's laying on the ground with his head bleeding. Yeah. That was it, because he got up and you actually heard punches being thrown. There was a struggle. I could get into that. Mm-hmm. Like the then the girl with the trombone happens, and then I'm like, oh okay. And then dude makes a joke, and then it's like okay. And then we finally get back into it, and he shoots the guy through the window. It's like oh okay, it's a mafia hit. And then he comes through for Don Wells and shoots her in the face, and I really thought she was down because I didn't know. So I was like, oh, shoot, she's dead already. And then she crawls and gets away. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, we're out of that. And let's go back over here for another hour. And I don't know. Yeah. That's just me, though. Okay. Um, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, I uh, I love the narration. Um, and it's the same narrator that did Legend of Boggy Creek, which is the same director or writer? Director. Director. Writer, writer, okay, yeah. Uh, which I didn't get into Legend of Boggy Creek. And I'm a big Sasquatch fan. I love Bigfoot stuff. But Boggy Creek never did much for me. Uh, but I love the narration in this. Yep. Wow, I lo- really? Yeah. I loved it. Right Boggy Creek? You love Boggy Creek? I love the narration. Oh, in this. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I, I, I like that you pointed out that it's a little reminiscent of Chainsaw at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, but here's another one for you. It reminded me of the narration <laughs> throughout um, Silver Bullet. Yeah, One of my favorite werewolf that, movies, especially in the small town and yeah. how it's affecting Tarker's Mills and how it's affecting that. Yeah, I know. I never put that together. Cycle of the werewolf. Very astute, sir. <laughs> oh, perhaps I should be the professor. <laughs> oh man, Dude, um, you lost your name. Yeah, I'll just co-host a little bitch. <laughs> so um, I love the narration. Um, I really liked. And this is bad to say. It, not that I liked it. Uh, it really freaked me out that he did the biting of yes. the victims. I don't know. Is that true to the real case? No. Okay. There Somebody was, told me it wasn't. There was nothing sexual about the killings. Okay. Other than one that was potentially. Yeah. Which I, I'm not even going to go into on the show. Yeah. But, but it, I mean, it, that's it reminiscent of the devil's rejects and something that bothered people in that okay gotcha but that's creepy that biting that that is and and i like the killer yeah and i like the progression that again i I don't like it like i'm oh that's cool but like i i like that each more kill got more brutal right like and not brutal in the sense because you're making a good point too mad chan that the killing is so less personal but that he went further with each each attack you know the first two you know there was less fatal yeah, exactly. That same stuff. But as he went further, it was more about killing rather than attacking, which was interesting. 
Um, so there's that. And um, the last thing I want to say about this, oh, and the sounds too, when you see that bag moving mm, in and out, you hear his, his breathing, the screaming, like it's all very... Which we brought up in Black Christmas. I love the sounds in Black Christmas. No, I think it. Yeah. Right. Well, and then too that there's very little music in Black Christmas. Mm-hmm. Very little music in this too. Like the sounds of the kills are really selling it. Yeah. Um, the last thing I want to bring up about this that really sold me on the film. I love that slow motion sh- yeah. shootout. Yeah. And when he's running with that train and he gets his leg shot out from underneath him, that is an amazing moment in cinematography. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Never happened, but it looks amazing. <laughs> a man getting shot in the leg is absolutely yeah. beautiful. <laughs> well, and I, I'll just add this, that I think that what I find interesting is that for some of the reasons that makes Mad Chan not enjoy this as much as some of the reasons that draw me to it which is the reality of it i mean the reason that we have you know a slower movie is because we only had x number of incidents and then he vanished um yeah the gun which isn't his personal i mean all these things for the most part are are holding true to a case that most of the country didn't know about Mm -hmm. and and kind of you know brought more notoriety to it so i find that interesting um and also, really, just very impressive for independent filmmaking. I mean, totally. I mean, the way this film looks, the score, some of the <laughs> actors that they brought in, the subject matter—it's to me impressive. And I think some of the the things like a faux documentary style that would really catch on more and more in the future, maybe was more a matter of necessity for mm-hmm. this. It helped lend more of an entertainment value to it that's pretty cheap with having a guy talk over it i don't know i like the way it sets it the tone from the get-go and i love the ending with the feet and the injured leg moving in line talking about how he is probably still in texarkana today because at that time he probably was feasible yeah i mean at the age that they would have been at still been very creepy uh one other thing something i find just absolutely bizarre Um, which relates kind of to what you're talking about with thinking things are cool and then immediately retracting it because of the reality of it. You guys know they play this movie in the park where some of these murders happen every year. The city is behind it. Oh, there's our road trip. Here's the thing. Family family members have have written them and said, are you serious? Like, this has affected our lives. And you're showing a movie celebrating this? And they say, yes, we sure are. <laughs> I mean, they play it literally oh, there. Oh, how terrible. Um, which is what the sequel, remake, reboot is. It, it, it is about them showing the movie. Really? Where it happened. Ooh, now or I'm in the it. area. And it inspires somebody to take the killing back up. So the movie is not trying to remake, per se, oh. the original. It's picking up on the fact that <coughs> they show them, people watching it there in town. And somebody picks up from there. Uh, might entice you to now. I want to watch it. The sequel, cool remake, whatever you want to call it. Cool, Mad Champ. Any last thoughts? Um, I get to meet Don Wells pretty soon. Cool, I've got a few choice four letter words I want to give her, and no, they're not at all. No, I mean, like I said, it just it's not it's not a bad movie, it's just not my movie. Yeah, I hear you. That's all it is, that, and that's why I wanted to go with yeah. that because it's not a bad movie. It's. I give props to all independent filmmakers, and we yeah. we do that here. And for the time period and what it was, it's just my personal taste and my mm-hmm. my viewing of it. Yeah, just didn't just didn't resonate that yeah. high with me, man. Well, and to be fair, I'll I'll I'll. Oh no, you ain't got no. Nobody got to up for me. No, I'm saying I'll roll <laughs> off what you're saying. I'll say it's not a great movie, but it is my movie. You see what I'm saying? Right on. Right. right. Yeah. So, so I. You're, so you're saying you dread it? Well, yes. Yes, and uh, I watched it after sundown, <laughs> and um, <laughs> it made me want to put two in the back of my own head. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we've got. <laughs> oh, Lord of mercy. Well, is there anything left to say about down uh, An interesting trio of movies. That Absolutely. Tonight. And I just want to say, too, I think it's another thing I love about the magic of this podcast is that... Professor and Mad Chan have very different tastes in horror movies. Oh, they're very. 
And I'm like right in the middle because most of my time spent watching horror movies is with both of you. So I get, I get both ends of the spectrum. So it's like, sometimes I get to play mediator between the two of you. Because, we do come together on a lot of stuff. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. I'm like our love, our love for like Adam Green movies and things of that nature. Like, right. We got that. Right. It's just, and it's, that's the thing. Like, um, our varying tastes in movies really helps yeah totally because i get to understand why you guys like it so much and honestly i would rather sit and listen to the professor tell me the true story of this Mm -hmm. and i'm not being mean or facetious i'm saying i would rather listen to the true story of this again and with more detail than watch the movie again because i prefer the true crime aspect of it like i could sit here and wax and talk about things like that all day so Mm Very cool. Good show. Good show. Absolutely. We came in just a little over an hour, and I think it was a great hour, a productive hour. We really mashed it. Really? (laughs) You've been big on wordplay tonight. I can't help it. You look like a hand of heart. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, nothing further to say, friends. Been a great episode uh, for the Midwest Monsters. I am Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by my homeboys, Matt Chan, Professor Wagstaff. We're reminding y'all to stay scary. We're off to kick.